Amen. Go ahead and be seated, would you please? Now, let's just address my beautiful legs this morning. Just so you know, this was on accident. This is on purpose. Uh, we are going to have a baptism this morning. And so we're just waiting for some family to get here. Uh, they're here, and we could do it right now, but I don't want to rush into it. I want it to be fully appreciated and to understand the full significance of what it is we're going to do, why we're going to do it. So therefore, we're going to do the baptism at the end of the service. And so um, with that being said, I just didn't have time to change. And then I also, honestly, I was like, well, this gives me an excuse to preach in shorts without getting too many emails about it. So we'll see. We'll see. Yesterday, I had the great privilege of going down to Corpus to, uh, to part- participate in a Pearl Har- Harbor commemoration ceremony. Yeah, on, on the USS Lexington, and it was such a beautiful, beautiful day. I was extremely appreciative of that opportunity, and then I got to meet a couple of Pearl Harbor survivors still, 97 years old, one was 98, still is a volunteer on the USS Lexington once a week, and he, he still shows up to, to serve, and he was in the hospital, so he couldn't make it uh, to the ceremony, but it was just a, a beautiful, beautiful afternoon uh, to be able to uh, just to look back upon where we've been and what we've endured over the past 78 years as a nation, and then today uh, to be able to do a baptism for one of our current soldiers is also a, a, a great joy. I want to invite you to take your Bibles, and let's go ahead and turn a few places. I don't have all of these verses on the screens uh, today, and so I'm going to give you a heads up. And so we're going to go to a few places this morning. Our text is going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we will look at uh, a verse in Romans chapter 8, and as well as in 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you want to go ahead and start finding those places uh, I'd encourage you to, uh, because the likelihood of me slowing down long enough for you to find it when I get there is slim to none. I, I get that I have a tendency to go really quickly, so I want to kind of let you know the direction that we're going so that you can be there. So Ephesians 1 is our primary text, Romans chapter 8, and then also in 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning we're going to continue our, our series about our identity in Christ, and in Christ, we've been forgiven. We're going to look at the term forgiven. We're going to look at the term redemption. And when I say the word redemption, then all of our children that are in our sword training should automatically perk up because that word should sound very familiar to them. In fact, if I were able to, if I were to say to them, uh, tell me about redemption, uh, then they would be able to articulate back to us. I'm not going to bring them up here on the stage because we haven't practiced it. We haven't planned for it. We haven't prepared for it. But they would be able to demonstrate to you, and they will one day, when you ask them the question or you ask them to tell you about redemption, uh, they would be able to tell you that when Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden, that all of mankind was separated by him. But thankfully, God had a perfect plan to bring us all back to him. Redemption. And then there's a little song, and it goes, whoa, whoa, this is redemption. I don't sing, 
So I'm not going to start this morning, but we are going to look at that term this morning. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, let's read this section first, beginning in verse number 7. Verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in on earth. And so, in, in back in verse number 7, the, the beginning, we see that in Christ, He has redeemed us. The word redemption here includes the concept of forgiveness. At the time of, of the writing of this letter, there were some 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. These slaves were often bought and sold as though they were like pieces of furniture. In fact, an ancient slave in some cases was both a slave and a debtor. In fact, the reason why they were enslaved to a, another human being was in large part due to the fact that they had borrowed money from them and were unable to pay it back. And so they had an outstanding debt which led them to be enslaved by another person. So if a person were to be redeemed, if they were to be released and set free, then if his or her liberty were to be purchased, then the debt at the same time would have been removed and eliminated. So this person was not only free, but they were forgiven. And so it is with the believer. We owed a great debt to God because of the trespasses of sin, but through Jesus' blood, that debt has been paid. Through his blood, we can be set free. Free not only from the slavery to sin, but free from the debt to God and its corresponding punishment that, that we so richly deserve. And so through his blood, we receive both redemption and forgiveness. Back at verse number 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. So, so not only has He redeemed us, He's forgiven us. That word forgive means to wipe out, uh, to blot out, or to do away with, or even it carries the imagery of to carry away. So, so God's forgiveness through Christ's blood is not just a, a, a mere covering up of our sin, no, it totally erases, it removes, it takes our sin and sends it away. This ought to remind us of the ritual that's known as the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, you can read about it later today, and I'd encourage you to, is explained in great detail in Leviticus chapter 16. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would send a scapegoat into the wilderness. In fact, on the Day of Atonement, the priest would, would have before him two goats. And on one of those goats, he would, he would slaughter the goat and, and sprinkle the blood from that goat on the mercy seat of God. 
And then on the other goat, they would lay hands upon that goat, confess the sin of the nation uh, of that goat, and then take that goat out into the wilderness to be lost, to, to carry that sin away. The, the goat was a picture of the substitutionary bearing of our sin and, and also the, the total removal of sin that would later be fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. So, so Christ died to carry our sins away. Not just to cover them up. He died to carry our sins away so that they would be seen no more. That's why John the Baptist declares in John chapter 1, verse number 29, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. He didn't come to cover it up. He came to completely remove it, to take it away. So, which means that there's no written accusation can stand against us in Christ because our sins have been taken away. Sin made us poor? Yeah, but grace, oh, the grace of God makes us rich in forgiveness and mercy and His love. And so because we are forgiven, here are some concepts that we need to work through this morning. Because we are forgiven, that means that we have been justified. It means that we are being sanctified. And then it means that one day we will be glorified. Those are the three tenses to our salvation. Salvation includes a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. The past tense, we have been justified. I'm going to explain all these terms to you. The present tense means that we are being sanctified. And then the future tense means that one day we will be perfectly glorified. And so, let's start with the past. Because we have been forgiven, then we have been justified. Justification means that the penalty for our sin has been removed. When we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, when we confess our need for Him, and when we ask for His divine forgiveness in our lives, and we commit to, to live for Him, to serve Him, to surrender our lives unto Him, then the answer that God has to us in that circumstance is absolutely yes, come, be a part of my family. So, so Christ bore the penalty of our sin, and in Christ we receive forgiveness from the penalty that our sin deserves. Our sin deserves hell. Eternal separation from God. The penalty that we deserve is death. Physical death and a spiritual death. But those who come to faith in Christ, through Christ, we can receive life. We get to step over from death unto life because of what Jesus did on the cross. He died. He bore that. He took that punishment. And so if you put your faith in Him, then you've been justified. And let me say this, those that have been justified never need to be re-justified. Once you're a member of God's family, you're always a member of His family. It doesn't mean that you, you receive justification and then you go and you're going to. You're going to mess up. You're going to sin. doesn't mean that you have to receive that justification all over again. It, it, justification occurs one time in our lives. Romans chapter 8, for those of you that are already there. 
Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, that's good. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Then it says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So the law of spirit, the law of the spirit of life, set us free from the law of the sin of death. Which means that you cross over from death and into life. So our justification is now behind us. It's a past occurrence. In Christ, those that are in Christ, mind you, in Christ, that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Praise be to God, salvation doesn't stop there. There's more to it. Because not only have we been saved from the penalty of sin, that justification, in Christ, because we are forgiven, then we are being saved, or we're being sanctified. And to be sanctified means that we are being saved from the very practice of sin. That's the sanctification process in our life. Sanctification would be, another way to describe it would be uh, freedom from the power of sin in your life. Which means that before we were ever justified, before we were ever in Christ Jesus, our broken wills were utterly subject to the power of sin. On our own, uh, we choose sin every stinking time. But now that we're in Christ, the power of sin is broken in our lives. And we're being set free from the power of sin by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. Because as, as a believer, we've received the, the deposit, the guarantee of our inheritance to come. That deposit is the Holy Spirit. And so, as believers, we've been given the Holy Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit comes the awareness, the, the sensitivity towards sin, and an ever-increasing desire to not sin, but a desire to chase after holiness and, and righteousness. Which means, in Christ, we're no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free from all of that. Now it's true, we don't always make the right choice. We don't always choose good to do. We still struggle. We still have moments of sin. But over the course of time, we choose righteousness over sin. We learn to walk in obedience rather than disobedience. Which ultimately means that our sanctification is ongoing. We don't receive perfect sanctification as soon as you become a, a believer. That this is a, a, a lifelong commitment to spiritual growth and maturity. Which means that we all came to faith at different moments in time. We're all growing in faith in different speeds. Some of us are progressing rather rapidly. Some of us are, 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 are really kind of stuck in neutral gear. But we need to understand that. And we need to be patient with that. 
Now, you, you should have your place still in Ephesians 1. That's our primary text. But a few pages to, to the right, if you look in chapter 4 of Ephesians, I think that's why Paul says this in chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1, he says, I therefore, I'm sorry, see, i got to wait. Ephesians 4. What? Okay, Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Then it says in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I mean, this is, this is just overflows with just a, an awareness and a call to, to attention that we need to be extremely patient with one another. We need to be very bearing and very forgiving with one another. We need to recognize that we're on this path of sanctification. And in that sanctification path, that sometimes things go quickly, sometimes things go slowly. But in love, we should be encouraging and supporting one another. So in Christ Jesus, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. And in Christ Jesus, we are being saved from the power of sin. Which gets us to the third point. Because we have been forgiven, then one day, future tense, one day we will be glorified. Glorification is, is freedom from the very presence of sin. That means that because we've been forgiven, one day we will be completely free from the presence of sin. Now while we might fight and we will fight to grow in holiness our entire earthly lives, but the reality is, when we finish the race, when God calls us home, when we enter into the presence of our Lord forever, then and there we'll be glorified. Free from, from the presence of sin. 1 Peter chapter 1 declares from verses 3 through 5, he says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation. That's the future tense salvation. Until you receive this, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. And praise be to God that our glorification is coming. And one day we'll be able to trade in this uh, persistent presence of sin we'll be able to exchange that for the perfect presence of God. How awesome will that day be? So in Christ, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. In Christ, we are being saved from the power of sin. And in Christ, we will be completely saved from the presence of sin. And that is what is available to those that are, are forgiven. Have you received the forgiveness that God extends to you? Will you receive that into your heart and to your life? 
Will you submit yourself unto Him? And if you will, then God's Word says, man, you've been redeemed and forgiven. Your debt has been paid. Jesus settled that account. And now you can have an ongoing life of sanctification work happening in you so that one day you'll be forever set free from the very presence of sin. I have another thought that I want to work through with you this morning because we're dealing with the, with the concept and the idea of forgiveness. And so I think it's important that we, that we go here for just a few moments. And the reality is that forgiven people forgive people. Those that have received the forgiveness of God are called and compelled to extend forgiveness to others. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Forgiving. If you've been forgiven, I ask you this morning, how well are you doing at forgiving other people? Is there someone in your life to whom you have refused to grant forgiveness to? If so, let me warn you, not from my words, but from the Word of God, that refusing to forgive another person actually reflects a great appreciation for the grace and forgiveness that you've received from God yourself. When you forgive when you refuse to forgive, then you're actually outside of God's will for your lives. Now I realize that, that some of you are victims of some unspeakable crimes. In fact, the passage of time provides little healing to the wounds that someone else has caused in, in your life. I recognize that in such cases that sometimes forgiveness can, can take years to occur. In fact, in such cases that it may even require the help and the assistance of, of, of other professionals uh, to, to guide you and to encourage and equip you. But let me ask you this morning, what path are you on? Are you on the path of forgiveness or are you on the path of a hardening heart? I think those are only the two options that there are. When you think about that individual, that situation that has occurred in your life, what path are you on? Forgiveness or hardening of your heart? And so if you need a little help on trying to figure out what path you're on, I'm going to give you a quick little test here. I'm going to give you Three quick tests that you can ask yourself so that you can help to determine which path that you're on. And we'll go through these rather quickly. The first test would be what's called the first thought test. The first thought test. What is the first thought that comes to your mind when the name of that offender is mentioned? What is the first thought that comes to your mind when you happen to see them outside in the community? somewhere what's the first thought that comes to your mind is it hatred is it anger is it bitterness is it 
resentment? Do you, do you see that person? Or when their name's mentioned, do you just kind of roll your eyes and sigh in disgust and do all that you can to avoid interaction with them? Let me help you out here. When the first thought that you have about that offender, when it's not related to the injury that they've caused you, right? When, when it's not related to some negative emotion within you, then I would say that that's a good sign that you're on a path towards forgiveness. So you have this first thought test. The second test, I'd say it would be the, the opportunity to help test. The opportunity to help. Ask yourself, uh, would you help them if you were aware of their need in life and you had the ability to meet those needs? Would you step in and offer assistance? I mean, think about it. Most likely, this person that has hurt you was someone to whom you had a great affection towards. Someone whom you may have even loved before. There would have been a time in your life before the offense occurred that you would have stepped in and helped them, no questions asked. But now, now after the pain has been inflicted in your life, and now if there's an opportunity that presents itself and you're aware of their need and you have the means to meet that, what, what, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to step in and to offer assistance? Or, or do you, in your heart, do you desire to see them uh, succeed in life? Or, or in your heart, do you, do you delight in seeing them struggle and suffer? After all, they cause you pain. Which, which one is it? So you have the first thought test. You have an opportunity to help test. And then the third one I would say is the revenge test. The revenge test which means do you still think about getting even with this individual? Do you hold out hope that they're going to get what they deserve? Do you wait in anticipation for what comes around goes around? I mean, what's motivating your, your thought here? Are you eagerly waiting for the moment where you can see it finally come back and hit them in a hard way? Or do you rather, do you desire for, for God to bless them? That for them to experience, find and experience peace with God and peace with one another? If all you can think about is watching them suffer, watching them struggle, if you delight in that, can you even call that forgiveness? Again, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. When, participate with me. This isn't a rhetorical question. Let's see if we can get it right. When did God forgive you? Where, where, where do we see it? Jesus where? On the cross. The cross. He, he, he extends forgiveness. Jesus at the cross gave up his life for forgiveness. Rose from the dead. Victorious over sin and defeat. 
forgiveness is extended has already been extended. It's up to the individual to receive the forgiveness that's been extended. The reason why I say that is because some of you are under the misconception that you think it's your right to withhold forgiveness as long as until they come and actually ask you to forgive them. Well, yeah, I'm bitter. Yeah, I'm angry. Yeah, I'm mad. Yeah, I want to see them. Well, they never asked for forgiveness, so why do I have to forgive? Well, the text says to forgive each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Forgiveness has already been granted. So you need to forgive that offender right now. You need to forgive. Whether they receive that forgiveness or not, that's not up to you. What's up to you, what's in your control, is the granting of forgiveness. And you grant it. And how often do you grant it? As often as necessary. It's not just a one-time thing. It's like, well, I forgave you once, and there you go again. Always forgiving, loving and being tenderhearted, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So again, when you think about that person, you think about that offense, my question for you this morning is, will you forgive? Will you today release it and be done with it? Will you begin to pray for the offender that God would bless them, that God would equip and encourage them in their lives? Would you pray, pray for blessings instead of for retribution to occur? Will you forgive? Do you desire to receive God's forgiveness in your life? And if you desire to receive God's forgiveness in your life so that you can be set free from the penalty that your sin deserves, then are you willing to submit your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Both are required. You don't get to pick and choose. Well, I'll take you as my Savior, but I'll leave the Lordship to my own life. That's not how it works. That's why Scripture says that we're to confess Him as Lord. It doesn't say to confess Him as Savior. It says to confess Him as Lord. Will you do that? And if you've done that, then are you willing to grant and extend forgiveness to other people? Will you be done with withholding it? And will you just know today that if you are in Christ and according to the Word of God, that, that, that you are forgiven. You're free. Your sin, the punishment, the penalty for your sin has already been dealt with. Because you're in Christ and He's going to work through the power of His Holy Spirit to grow you in Christ-like maturity and then one day you're going to be forever set free from the very presence of sin. That is a beautiful reality. This message series is so important for us to, to sit through and for us to study and for, to reflect upon it because I'm just tired of seeing believers walking around with their heads hanging down, all defeated and discouraged in life. I'm like, man, do you even understand what God's Word has to say about who we are and what we have? We're not defeated. We ought not be discouraged. We're victors. We win. I mean, that, that's, that's the great news. 
And that's a couple of weeks out when we're talking about how we're victorious. But let me just go and just ruin the surprise. We win. So whatever we have to go through right now is just shaping and developing something unique or special within us. Don't get bitter about the hardships. Don't resent God because of the difficult seasons in your life. Allow it to be an opportunity for Him to do that sanctifying work in you. It's a beautiful thing. Now, I know it's not beautiful in the moment. It's painful. It's hard. It is no fun. But for those that have been through it and are now on the other side of it, you can look back through those difficult times and think, oh, how wonderful was God in that season of my life. How I needed that to, to grow me in my trust and my dependency upon Him and His sovereign will. So, so it is beautiful. So you're, you're, you're victors. Pick your head up. Keep your eye on Jesus. Shoulders back. Stand tall. Stand firm on the Word of God. Understand who you are in Christ and then go and live that way in this wicked world that we're in. Have you received the forgiveness that, that God extends unto you? Have you received that? God's offer of forgiveness and redemption, listen very carefully, God's offer of forgiveness and redemption is available to everyone, but, there's a but there, it's available to everyone, but it is only effective for those who actually repent and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's available to all, but it's only effective if you will repent and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. We're going to pray. I'm going to slip up in the back, and we're going to do a baptism at the end of our invitation. We're going to have staff in the front to, to here to pray with you, to encourage you. In fact, if you want to receive God's uh, forgiveness in your life and you don't want to wait till next week to be baptized, hey, we're about to get up in the water right now. You just come and join us right now. <laughs> Let's pray. We're not going to sing. We're just let the music play. You take whatever posture of worship you want. But in this moment, let's pray. Let's do right. Let's get right. Let's be right with our Father. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are for the blessings in which you pour out into our lives. And most importantly, in this moment, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that you allow us to receive the forgiveness by putting our faith and trust in your Son. So may we be encouraged to, to fully appreciate forgiveness that we've received from you so that we could rightly demonstrate that forgiveness in our relationships with others. In this time of invitation, Father, there are decisions that need to be made. There are prayers that need to be prayed. There is the granting of, of forgiveness that needs to be extended. There's forgiveness that needs to be received. Father, you know what needs to be done. Father, I pray that you will be pleased by what you see in our response unto you. In Christ's name I pray.